using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags, always at an ultra-low price. They're our best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Change Agents Dilemma for Thursday, June 19th, 2014. I'm your host, Heather Stagel, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do once a month on Blog Talk Radio. This show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals and teams to influence organizational change at Enclaria. The Change Agent's Dilemma is how to influence change without authority, and my goal with this show is to share ideas and tools to help you do just that. Today, my guest is Barbara Troutline, author of Change Intelligence, who is here to discuss how to develop your CQ. Barbara is author of the best-selling book, Change Intelligence, Use the Power of CQ to Lead Change That Sticks. She is also the principal and founder of Change Catalyst and originator of the CQ system for developing change intelligence. For over 25 years, Barbara has conducted workshops for thousands of participants, coached many dozens of people from CEOs to union workers, and facilitated over a dozen mission-critical change management initiatives, achieving bottom-line business and powerful leadership results for clients. She is gifted at sharing strategies and tactics that are accessible, actionable, and immediately applicable. In addition to her hands-on work with clients, she is a recognized expert, author, and researcher on leadership and change management best practices. Barbara holds a Ph.D. in organizational psychology from the University of Michigan. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for having me. So let's dive right in, um, because you have a lot of great stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so I'd like to hear, uh, from your point of view, what is the primary factor that can make or break someone's ability to successfully carry out a change project? Um, that's a great question to start off with. And sometimes I like to tell a story that, that happened to me um, on my first day as a change leader in my career um, uh, and, and help put this into context about how I went down this path of change intelligence. And, and that is that I started in this business 25 years ago um, and I live and work in the Midwest. And at the time, for those of you who are as old as me, uh, may remember that the Midwest was known as the Rust Belt because we're experiencing a recession much like we're emerging from today. So I was actually working with a team of fellow consultants in a steel mill that was in bankruptcy. And so our our job, our role was to obviously help them emerge from bankruptcy. So it was literally my first day on the job as a change leader, stand-up consultant facilitator, and I was introducing myself, and it was a room full of about two or three dozen steel workers. They were all men, almost to a man they had worked in the mill their entire careers, and they were all 20 or 30 or 40 years older than me. So I introduced myself, and I said how we were going to partner together to transform them into high-performance, total-quality, self-managed teams, and up stood a six foot five inch 250-pound steelworker, and he stomped to the middle of the room, and he said, we're steelworkers, and we don't listen to girls. <laughs> so oh I, knew, I, I know, I know. I love that story. People love that story, and it's true. 
And, um, you know, so it was, uh, so I knew that, you know, I didn't take it personally because he was afraid, obviously, right? I mean, the steel mill was the only game in town. He desperately didn't want the doors to close and for, you know, he and his colleagues to lose their jobs. Um, so, of course, there was a lot of fear in the audience. Um, however, I knew that there was a lot of fear and intimidation in me standing in the front of the room, you know, attempting to lead the change. And so that really got me started on my, you know, 25-year path of equipping and empowering change leaders. So to your question about what's the primary factor that can make or break your ability to successfully carry out a change project, the way I look at it is that we do have a lot of tools to help manage change. We have really great change management toolkits and change management models and philosophies and approaches. And as I said, I think we also do have tools to help the targets of change, so to build your change resistance, stress management, coping, change friendliness, change readiness. But the gap that I was attempting to fill with my change intelligence approach is that I didn't think that we had um, tools that help change leaders really understand and develop their capacity. So I think that's one of the primary success or failure factors for change is our ability as change leaders ourselves to carry out the change. Great. So your book is called Change Intelligence, and I read it, and it's great. I highly recommend it to anyone listening. In fact, there's a link on my website on the page that has this where you can listen to this. So click on that and get her book. Um, but, Thank you. So Thank Change you. Intelligence, it, what you'd say, you'd call it you, the initials CQ, sort right. of like IQ and EQ. So I was wondering if you could describe what is change intelligence, what do you mean by that? And how is it different from, say, EQ or IQ? How does it fit into that genre? Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I do think, you know, I love Howard Gardner's concept of multiple intelligences, and, and I do think that our ability to lead change is, is an intelligence. And so that's just similar to IQ, your raw intelligence, or your EQ, your emotional intelligence. And so uh, what, how I define CQ or change intelligence is the awareness of your own change leader style and the ability to adapt it to be more effective across a variety of people and situations. So similar to EQ, it's first about awareness. So emotional intelligence is about your awareness of your own emotions and your hot buttons and triggers and your ability to manage your own emotions, and then your awareness of other people's emotions and using that information to be able to build successful relationships with other people. So similarly with CQ, the first step is awareness. So the whole idea that, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you have one style to leading change, that's going to be effective in certain types of change or with certain types of audiences, but it might not be effective in all cases. And so the more options we have, the more power we have. So if we realize that, yes, we might have a primary or dominant style that we use to lead change, um, and then there are other styles that are available to us, we can, when it makes sense, adapt our style, adapt our approach, um, and to be more effective. So the distinction is that CQ really laser focuses on change leadership. And so those dominant styles that I talk about is, are basically there's three dominant styles, and, and we're all blends, we're all mixes, but the three primary styles are some people lead change from the heart, some from the head, some from the hand. So as I often suggest, if your listeners you know, want to think about, I'll describe each briefly in which might resonate with them, what they think their primary style might be, and that could be of interest in terms of just, again, reflecting on your style and its strengths and its gaps and its developmental opportunities. That's what I coach clients to do. 
And so just really briefly, Great, yeah. The, yeah, so so the first style, leading from the heart, those folks lead change by focusing on the people. So they have their the people impacted by the change on their radar screen when they lead change. So they're very engaging, motivating, collaborative. They focus on communicating and consensus and involving people. They're very motivating, supportive coaches, participative change leaders. So obviously that's a strength in leading change because we know we need engagement and we know we need to focus on the people. That's a key failure factor when we don't. However, any strength overdone can become a weakness. So, of course, if you're too high heart as a change leader, and that's what's almost exclusively on your radar screen, what can happen is several things, one of which is you can suboptimize, you can lose your sense of urgency, you can focus more on, um, you, you can hesitate to hold people accountable to challenging new expectations for fear of getting people out of their comfort zone or making them uncomfortable or damaging relationships. And, of course, getting out of your comfort zone is often necessary in a change process. So that's a strength overdone. The other thing that can happen is you have people on the radar screen almost exclusively is you can lose focus on the goal of the change. And so that's the first style leading from the heart. The second style leads change from the head. And the, that type of change style, they never lose focus of that goal. They're very goal-oriented. They're visionary. They're big picture. They're systems thinker. These people get very excited by scanning the horizon for the next new trend or strategy or tool to come, um, to come down the pike and to think about how to bring that into their organization. So, again, they're very visionary, inspirational change leaders. Um, however, so it, sounds like they have, it sounds like they have shiny object syndrome, though. <laughs> that's exactly right. That can definitely be the, the challenge. <laughs> exactly. That's right, that they can be so focused on the new and exciting and different that they can lose focus on actually implementing the change. They can go on to the next thing, um, you know, the shiny object, the, you know, chasing the squirrel kind of thing. <laughs> and the other thing is that um, sometimes they can, you know, the train can leave the station and they realize that nobody's on the train with them. <laughs> they just, you know, they're very excited. They get it. They see it. And they look around and they look behind them and nobody's there. Um, and sometimes that's because they, you know, other people don't get it. And sometimes it's because, to your point, they just haven't showed them the roadmap how to get from here to there. Um, and so the last style, they love the roadmap. They, they lead change from the hand. So they're very executionally oriented, very tactically oriented, very detail oriented. They're very efficient, process oriented change leader. And so they love detailing how to get from here to there, what the plan's going to be, and the tactics and the tools to get there. Um, what, of course, they can drop out then is sometimes the big picture. They can focus on the forest versus the trees, and sometimes they can get frustrated with people's emotions or team dynamics or the organizational culture. So that, like I said, those are the three primary styles. We're all blends of those styles, but, you know, just that level of awareness about where you come from oftentimes can lead people to greater awareness of, oh, now sometimes I see why I get stuck in a change because I need to add these other two dimensions. So are there questions that people can ask themselves to help clarify which one they are? Yeah, you know, there's lots of, you know, for example, as you know from reading the book, with the book comes a free online 20-question, 15-minute self-assessment where you go through these 20 questions and you get a customized report of your change leader style along with your strengths, developmental opportunities, and coaching suggestions. So there's that. But just, uh, but as you know, as you know, as I described, it's pretty intuitive. Um, so you can ask yourself, when you lead change, do you primarily focus on the people, the pur purpose, or the process? Um, you can ask okay. yourself questions like, when you get feedback that you're, or you realize you're not being as successful in leading change, why does that typically happen? Is it because you've dropped out 
engaging people and collaborating and communicating in a proactive way? Is it because you've dropped out a sense of urgency moving towards the goal? Is it because you've dropped out a really clear plan and providing tools for people to be able to partner with you? You can kind of observe yourself. You can, another thing you can do is observe your people that you're leading through the change. If people seem um, demotivated, disengaged, then um, uh, suspicious, then perhaps you need to focus on the heart more, build relationships, build trust. Um, if they seem like they're um, excited but confused about what to do, uh, perhaps you need to focus on, um, you know, more on uh, the hands, giving people that roadmap about how to get from here to there. Um, and if they seem like they just don't get it, um, then, you know, you might need to paint the picture of the target a little more, focusing on the, the head, you know, the business case, the rationale, the why are we doing this, and what specifically you're asking me to do. Great. So you've got this triangle structure where you have head, heart, and hand, different styles. And I know you, you mentioned that we're all uh, sort of conglomerates of all these different things. But if, I know in, the, in your model you have one in the middle, which is called an adapter. And I was curious right. to hear if that, you know, is the goal to become an adapter or, you know, how do you use this to get better? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great yeah. question. And what your listeners can do just to visualize this for themselves is that, um, so the three primary dimensions are head, heart, hands, as you say. So people draw a triangle, right? If, if your listeners want to draw a triangle. And then on the top of the triangle, the top corner would be high heart, the bottom um, left would be high head, and the bottom right high hand. Okay, so those are the three primary styles. However, if you mix them together, you get seven different um, blended styles. So the first one is the top of the triangle. If you're very high heart, that's the coach change leader style. Again, you're a motivating, supportive coach. If you're very high head at the bottom um, left of the triangle, you'd be a, a strong visionary change leader. And if you're very high hands at the bottom right of the triangle, you would be a strong executor. You focus on executing the change. Um, if you are a combination of heart and head, that would be, again, on the left side of the triangle, you'd be a champion change leader. So you want to champion change. You get where you want to go, and you enjoy motivating people to get there. Um, if you're, and so what's on the opposite of the triangle is what you tend to drop out. So the opposite then of the champion would be the high hands executor. So that's what you drop out. That's your blind spot. If you're on the bottom of the triangle, that's between the head and the hands, um, you get where you want to go, you get how you're going to want to get there, that's the driver change leader style. So drivers obviously drive teams. They move with the strongest sense of urgency. What's on the opposite side of the triangle is the high heart. So they can drop, they're the most likely to drop out the people side of change. On the right side of the triangle, in between the heart and the hands, that's the facilitator change leader style. And they really like to get in the trenches with people, hold people's hands, you know, really partner with the teams to make change happen. Um, the opposite of them is the strategic visionary, so they can drop out the big picture at times. So as you said, the seven style is right in the middle, and that's the adapter. And adapters, it's a great style because they are mid-range on head, heart, hands. They can really flex all those three muscles. They really scan for those three things. They can really see what's missing. Um, however, to, your, to answer your question, um, that's not the ideal style. There's no ideal style because even adapters have their challenges. So, for example, 
some people can look at adapters and be confused by them because they can seem chameleon-like and not knowing where they're coming from. Another challenge adapters have is sometimes they can struggle with what is the what is the right path forward because they see many different options and they can flex many different muscles, and sometimes they can be seen as a little wily and political. <laughs> so the point is not to have everybody become an adapter. Yeah, it's to have everybody be able to adapt. So as I say, just like okay. you can't force change on anybody else, right, nor can we um, fundamentally, I mean, I always believe in personal transformation, but I think fundamentally we tend to evolve, right? And so it's really not changing, like nobody needs a personality transplant. It's not changing who we are, but it's more being able to recognize that there are different behavioral options. And because I think if you try to change fundamentally, it's often like driving a car with the brakes on, right? You know, I'm a very strong champion, and I really drop out the execution of the hands. I can get in that mode, right, for short periods of time, and I can, you know, manage a project plan and, you know, do all those tactical activities but I far prefer to partner with others where I'm weak in that area and that are strong and actually enjoy that. Um, so I think that's the beauty of it because it gives you, again, more options in terms of muscles you can flex and build, at least in you know, short term in the, in the moment, uh, when a change project would benefit from that. And it also shows you how you can um, you know, shore up those blind spots by partnering with others. Great. So what are some of the ways that someone listening can develop their CQ starting today? And I guess I'd preface that with, I know in your book you talk about for each of the different styles, you go through what different people can do, whether they are someone who is, a, a an, say, an executive leader, someone who is more of a supervisor, a frontline supervisor, and then someone who is like a project manager. And so since this show is is geared toward people who are influencing without authority, and so that's more of that project manager type. So I I guess I'd, you know, you can spice it up with other things, but I I guess I would focus on that. uh, (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure. No, absolutely. And, um, you know, I love dealing with folks at that level, and that's why I broke the book up like I did by those three different levels, because I think that there are obviously very different change challenges. And clearly, your audience, it's all about influencing without authority. Um, sometimes I, I show this model that, again, is another triangle, but this time the triangle represents the organizational hierarchy. And I talk about how folks at the top, um, you know, the executives, they're often the most uh, understanding of the need for change. They're, again, scanning the horizon. They see what's happening in the marketplace, the competitive environment, the economy, the regulatory environment. So they most get the need for change, and they've been thinking about it the most. However, they can also be the most isolated from the impact of the changes in the organization. Um, like why is Undercover Boss, that TV show, so popular, right? Because the CEO goes to the front lines and see the challenges that you know, real people have executing some of their strategies. So the folks at the bottom, those quote-unquote, you know, real people, people working on the, you know, on the line, on the floor, in the front line, they can seem most resistant because it's often their behavior changes that are required to make the change successful. And the folks in the middle, who's your audience, I sometimes say they're like the baloney and the sandwich, right? They're squeezed between <laughs> eating from above, right, and the, and the often legitimate pushback from below. So, um, so, again, what can these folks do to empower themselves and increase their ability to influence without authority? And, you know, my experience, and I imagine yours, in dealing with people in the middle, is that um, I often see, I, I don't know that I've ever had an instance that 
I work with somebody at that level that I don't see that their sphere of influence is bigger than they do. Um, I, I, you know, it can be very frustrating, very challenging role, but I definitely think there are things that, you know, people can do to expand their influence and impact. And some of the, you know, the strategies that I'm going to share right now, yeah, I think there's five of them that, you know, that, that I like to share that, um, that again, I think that people can do immediately. That doesn't require any resources, any agreement from anyone else, any you know sanctioning. It's just things that people can do to increase their confidence and confidence and reduce their stress and frustration. So they're the five S's, I'd say. The first one, yeah, is to change your strategy. Um, and I really already talked about this one. It's, it's changing your strategy. You know, Rodney Dangerfield has this great joke, right? And, and his joke is that um, a guy goes to the doctor. And he says to the doctor, 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 I'm in so much pain. I broke my leg in three places. What can I do? And the doctor says, don't go to those three places again. (laughs) (laughs) I love that because I think that's often what we do. We have a strength. And especially in distress, what do we do? We deploy that strength again and again, even harder, harder, harder. And then we get frustrated because it feels like we're pushing the strength. So changing your strategy is all about, um, changing from head to heart to hands or vice versa. Um, so does it make sense to, you know, to engage the brain by um, helping, you know, focusing on the what and the why of the change? That's really helping the head to understand the vision, mission, and strategy, painting that picture, the target, the goal. Um, sometimes we need to change our strategy to focus more on the heart. Um, so people really care about the change objectives. Um, engage with people, actively listen, deal with their fears and insecurity and build trust. And sometimes what we need to do is help the hands. Sometimes people get it, sometimes people want it, but they just don't know how to do it. Um, so how can we help people? Give them the training and the tools, uh, remove the barrier standing in their way so they can partner with us. So that's the first thing, just change your strategy. Another thing okay. that's often have, helpful is to change your seat. So that gets back to that um, triangle model of how change looks at different levels because what you see depends on where you sit. Um, So sometimes, again, those folks at the top can really understand the need for the change but be pretty isolated. So sometimes we in the middle have to, you know, kind of have that intestinal fortitude to, um, to, to influence up and to tell the emperor that they have no clothes, you know, and really kind of with empathy see the world from their perspective and recognize that the higher you go in an organization, the more difficult it is to get feedback and the more difficult it is to get honest feedback and the more difficult it is to get real-world um, real feedback about what's happening. So, I mean, you've got to balance political savvy with political suicide, right, in terms of how you deliver the message <laughs> and when and in what context. But in, the, you know, but in the same way, just sometimes, you know, you know, flexing that empathy muscle and really standing in their shoes, changing your seat, um, can be very effective. You can really see the world from a different perspective, and that could perhaps chart for you a new path forward. Um, yeah, sometimes I, I sometimes I say that if someone is clueless, maybe they need a clue. <laughs> you know? That's so, really good. Yeah. That's right. And it's always, you know, to assume positive intent, right? Sometimes it's really easy right. to vilify other people, right? Um, and so to so assume important. positive intent, and may, to your point, maybe they just don't know. That's right. Um, and another thing like that is the third one is to change your stance. And, again, another triangle, I guess I'm into triangles, but another triangle is that <laughs> sometimes we can, you know, this is a very simple thing, but sometimes I think if you picture a triangle, sometimes when we have conflict or under change, then we kind of feel like we're on one angle of the triangle. The other people or person is on the other, another angle of the triangle, and the problem or the change of the opportunity is on the third. 
And it can often feel like it's us pushing against the other people and the problem or the opportunity at the same time. And sometimes if we just kind of move ourselves to, um, you know, and visualize and picture and literally feel ourselves instead of pushing against the other people and the problem to visualize, visualize ourselves working with or even for the other people, if that makes sense. And so it's both yeah. of us working towards the problem with each other instead of against or in spite each other. Um, again, it can, you know, I was just um, uh, at a um, workshop yesterday talking about building effective sponsorships for change. And, um, and that, that's what one gentleman was talking about, that sometimes when he gets in the mode that he feels he's trying to push or, um, you know, kind of, you know, demand something from, from one of his fellow sponsors, he steps back and he says, well, you know, I know that we both have the same goal here, and it's interesting to me, so coming out of a place of curiosity, it's interesting to me that we have such different perspectives about how to get there and what that looks like. So here's what, how I'm looking at it, help me understand how you're looking at it. So again, it's kind of both of you facing the problem together and, um, you know, instead of, um, you know, at odds with each other. So I think that that's, that's and, and, and when, you, when you change that, that's right, when you make those little tweaks in your behavior, what you say, how you act, even physically sometimes how you sit in a room um, you know, across the table or next to each other, that people can sense that palpable difference. Um, and really yeah. defensiveness can drop, and, you know, it can drop in part, partnership, teamwork can, can really ensue. Because um, as I say, it's often interesting how when we make small changes in our behavior, how other people can change too. It can be really a dramatic transformation. Um, just really quickly, the last couple. One is change your story. Um, you know, I love the expression, resistance isn't futile, it's fertile. <laughs> so how can we reframe it? How can instead of looking at it as a negative, right, um, look at it as a positive, that just like we have immune systems in our body that protects us from harmful invaders from the outside, organizations have immune systems too. And so when you activate that by instituting a change process, um, you know, sometimes just by surfacing it, honoring it, not avoiding it, not deflecting it, not making it wrong. Um, it's going to get in the way, quote-unquote, anyway. So to really kind of put it under the microscope, I'll talk about it honestly, again, that often can, um, can lead to a path forward. Um, and the final thing is change your style. So we talked about change your strategy, seed, stance, and story. Change your style is just that, you know, a little play on the golden rule. Like the golden rule is to do unto others as you want to be done unto and sometimes I say in change, it's the platinum rule. Do unto others as they want to be done unto. So some people, again, have, we all have different change leader styles. And if you're a high heart person, you want to focus on the who. Who is going to be impacted by the change? If you're a high head person, you're going to focus on the why and the what of the change. If you're a high hands person, you're not even going to be able to hear the exciting new vision, the why and the what, until you know the how or at least a little taste of the how, that it's feasible, that it's practical, that it's relevant. So sometimes, just again, by tweaking your message or your style, um, giving other people what they need to get it to want to be able to do it you would, versus what you would need and your style and what would influence you, you can be so much more effective. Um, so anyway, so those are just five, I think, very simple things that are totally within anyone at any level's control that you can do that you don't need permission, you don't need resources, you don't need no more class or education <laughs> that, you can, um, that you can implement today. Okay, so just to recap, in case somebody's taking notes or something, those five S's were change your strategy, yeah. change your seat, change your stance, change your story, change your style. Yeah. Did I get those right? Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> yes, I have a little white paper about that. If anybody's interested, I'd be happy to email it to them. They can just um, go to my website at changecatalyst.com, so it's changecatalyst with an S, and email me, and I'd be happy to send it to them. Okay, that'd be great. And if you'd like to uh, send me a link, I can, I'd can. i be happy to post that on the same site where this, same page where this is, where people are listening. Yeah. I can get it right there. Yeah. So um, I'm curious, really quickly, I'm, I'm just curious to see, as you've researched this head, heart, and hands model, uh, is there anything that you've discovered that's been just really surprising or really interesting? I was just one of the... Sure, sure. Well, I have, you know, again, um, thousands of people in my database that have taken the change intelligence assessment and just what might be of interest to this group because there are some interesting differences by hierarchical level. And since these folks are managing from the middle, um, folks in the middle tend to be slightly higher hands, and I think that's because they're focusing on executing multiple initiatives and accountabilities typically, right, at this level in their career. Folks at the top tend to be higher heads. So they tend to be right. more focused. That's probably right on the vision, the strategy. But to your point, they can be very, they can fall victim to that um, uh, shiny penny effect. So that can be very frustrating for people in the minute, middle because you can be going down a path and then you can change direction midstream. Or you can be going okay. down a path and then all of a sudden you have been chartered to do something but you really don't have the resources to be able to execute. So that can be very frustrating. So that's just something to be aware of. And the folks at the bottom, not necessarily the team targets the employees, but at least the front-level managers that you want, uh, supervisors you might be trying to influence from the middle, tend to be higher heart. And that's because I think they're moving from doers to delegators, and they have to get work done through others for the first time in their career. So I think that's important for folks in the middle to recognize, too, because they can get very frustrated by frontline leaders who seem to um, not be as strong advocates for change and not be as um, um, kind of um, not forceful is the word I'm looking for, but in terms of trying to influence uh, people to adopt new and different ways, uh, they can seem like they have less of a sense of urgency and they're more concerned about um, uh, not challenging their team members than by kind of yeah. advocating for the, for the new way. So that's just something for folks in the middle to keep in mind um, that you might want to add someone more ahead to your communications and influence attempts when influencing up, um, and then more heart when influencing down. Great. So where can people go for more information and resources? Um, well, again, you can visit my website. Um, on the website, they can download two free chapters of Change Intelligence, um, so they can check it out and see if it might be um, relevant for them. I also have audio to listen to. I have some videos with some interesting change leader stories. Um, so there are lots of resources there, and of course my contact information is there if anybody wants to wants to be in touch. If they have any uh, observations or comments, uh, I'd love to hear from people. Okay, well, Barbara, thanks so much for being here. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Heather. Thanks for having me. It was very very um, stimulating. Thank you so much. Sure. And coming up next month on July 22nd, Linda Hoops will return to the show to talk about how to avoid and manage change-related overload. I think we all need that. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to The Change Agent's Dilemma. If you'd like to find more resources to help you influence change in your organization, including individual coaching, team workshops, and upcoming training events, please visit enclaria.com. While you're there, I invite you to sign up for my monthly newsletter. Not only will you receive helpful tips, but when you subscribe, you will also receive a free chapter from my change management toolkit, The Irresistible Change Guide. Until next time, take care and best wishes for your change initiative.
Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. They're our best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags. Always at an ultra-low price. They're our best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty.